Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a word that is thrown around a lot these days, deconstruction. Given the work I do, I often hear about it in the context of faith or religion or spirituality. And while deconstruction is needed and tremendously important, there is work on the other side of that too, the work of reconstruction. Joining us in today's conversation to speak about both reconstruction and deconstruction is Allison Delfume. After an unexpected encounter with a person from a different faith tradition, she went on a three-year journey studying major religions as well as studying the psychology of cults. Allison, who's now a Christian, spends her time today advocating and helping those in various faith communities embrace connection with those of other beliefs. She's learning, as the Paul, wise Paul Metzger says, that holy envy ain't so bad. Allison, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, the first question I always ask every guest is, what would you like our listeners to know about you? I'd say when it comes to faith, the biggest thing to know is I would consider myself to be a faith misfit, which has now <laughs> become kind of the slogan for the what the faith community and what I'm kind of working on now. But um, yeah, very much a, a misfit in a lot of ways, never really have uh, identified with one group on either side, whether that be uh, politics, uh, anything re- regarding religion, <laughs> pretty, pretty much anything. I've always felt a little bit like an oddball. Hmm. And how has that, has that played into the community you're a part of? Do you find a lot of people who would say, yes, this is me, I don't really fit anywhere, and so I can find a place here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Once I kind of came across or just kind of came up with this term, faith misfit, it just made a lot of sense for me, and as I started engaging in conversations with people, it's pretty it's pretty quickly uh, easy to tell if I say that word and people are like, "Man, I t- I totally identify with that." I kind of know I'm like, "Well, you're probably our target audience." But then usually when I hear from people, they go, "What's a faith misfit? You're not a misfit." <laughs> I I usually can tell I'm like, "Well, you're probably more a, a fundamentalist. Probably probably not our target audience uh, yeah. as who we're trying to reach." So. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't think of themselves that way, but the more you kind of dive into just their faith journey, uh, you start to realize that everybody's pretty unique and often doesn't really fit into the mold. So, Hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about your faith background. Where did you grow up? What was your faith tradition, if there was any? Yeah, so I grew up in a culturally Christian household, right? Like went to church for Easter and Christmas. Uh, if someone had asked me, I would have said I was a Christian, but I really didn't know like the first thing about the Bible. I knew a little bit about Jesus and um, I guess who Jesus was uh, or heaven and hell, but didn't really have any sort of like personal faith um, and really never like thought about it. Uh, I actually grew up, my main kind of hobby and passion growing up was music. And so music kind of always was my identity. And then in college... Um, just kind of being around all different sorts of people of backgrounds. And um, I was around, you know, a lot of Mormons, uh, Jews, uh, Muslims, just kind of all these different backgrounds and opportunities to talk about faith that I didn't feel like I had growing up. I kind of realized that people were really able to articulate how they felt or like why they believed what they believed. And if someone had asked me that, I wouldn't have had the first like, I, I wouldn't have even known where to start when it came to the Christian faith, because uh, I didn't really even know if I 
believed that. I just had been told that that is what I was. Um, and so I just became kind of hyper obsessed with religious studies, uh, not because I necessarily was searching to find my faith, uh, but more just wanted to know more about it. Uh, I became very good friends with an Orthodox Jew, and I was very fascinated with just the tradition of faith and how community plays in. Um, and so, yeah, I went on this like three-year journey. I read the Book of Mormon, the Torah, the Quran, the Bible, um, did a lot of history and science research. Um, and just kind of like through those experiences, even though I did end up becoming a Christian, uh, once you go through something like that, you can't really ignore other faiths. Um, and so I just became a Christian and became very passionate about helping Christians or other followers of faith be able to engage in multi-faith dialogue and how do you navigate those and how can, uh, learning about other faith traditions actually deepen your own understanding of who God is. Um, so yeah, I kind of like I, I mentioned before we started recording, I, I feel like I only ever reconstructed rather than de deconstructed because there was no real pressure for me uh, one way or another to make some ultimate decision. I'm curious, well, first when you said you read all of those sacred books, <laughs> there was a side of me that thought most I think mo I don't know if most pastors have read the Bible yeah. from cover to cover. And yeah, I, and that's. Yeah. I'm not even saying it as a criticism. I really think when you said that, that popped in my head, and I actually, I'll have to check that out. But I think that is in fact the case that most pastors have not read the Bible cover to cover. Yeah, so just well, the fact that you did it, is is fascinating. But I'm curious, what is it? What was it, or maybe still is it, about? Christianity versus you, you named uh, you know Islam and in Judaism and Mormonism. Um, what is it about the Christian faith in particular that drew you to that to to the place where you now identify as a Christian? Yeah, I mean, it really became full circle for me. And like now, looking back on my experience, I definitely think um, you know, like. God was kind of working in my life, you know, to, to be able to enter into this space. But I had grown up, actually, uh, have you ever heard of the book Case for Christ? Oh, yeah. Uh, by, by Lee Strobel. Okay, so Lee Strobel, actually, he was my next-door neighbor growing up as a kid. Wait, wait, and, wait. Lee Strobel was your next-door neighbor? Yeah, when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Did he write? Uh, or Is that in Chicago area? Am I thinking correctly? No, so he he's moved around since. So that that was in Orange County, California, and then okay. uh, he I think eventually moved to Texas and has kind of bounced around a lot of different places. But growing up, I always knew that there was a you know a Christian author who lived on our street. He always bought my Girl Scout cookies every year. But when you're a kid, I don't I didn't really connect the dots. Um, and then when I was in college, like going through this. Uh, just kind of research journey. Um, I had known a little bit about Lee's journey of just being an atheist and eventually became a Christian. And I, and he was an investigative journalist. So I was like, I'll read his book. And that book like totally changed my life. <laughs> uh, I had never heard anybody talk about religion, but especially Christianity and the way that he did. And to be such a skeptic and to go into it very and for Lee, it's like he didn't even go into his journey completely open-minded. You know, his journey started with trying to disprove his wife's faith in a lot of ways because <laughs> they were having such marital issues with her becoming a Christian and him still being an atheist. Um, and so his book sparked a lot of interest for me in being able to 
have the understanding that there is so much more to understanding the history of Christianity uh, beyond just the Bible or beyond just kind of like what cultural, you know, evangelicals believe. Um, And so that kind of really sparked my interest. And I think for me personally, uh, you know, I read all the other, you know, religious texts and they just didn't really identify very well with me, you know, like within the Book of Mormon, half my family's Mormon, so I knew some things about it. Uh, But I just didn't really feel like pulled to it. And I was very pulled by the mystery of, uh, you know, was Jesus divine? Like, was Jesus really the son of God? Um, And also just looking at so much like the history and science that was able to kind of back up a lot of what was happening, at least in the New Testament, and even some stuff in the Old Testament. So I don't know, I just I became very curious with the mystery of it. Fascinating. Now, you talk about your growing up years. Would you say, like, are there still parts of your early years in that that tradition, really, in some ways, because it did help form you? Are there still parts that you hang on to today that you would say, yes, these are necessary or these shaped me? Um, and if so, what are those? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, for me, I had kind of a, a pretty um, I don't know, a, a challenging childhood. I grew up with my grandparents um, and had some issues with my biological parents. And so my grandparents really raised me as their own. Um, and what's interesting about my childhood is for a long time, I thought my childhood very much was tied into my like ultimate faith journey. I always like thought that. And I think the more mm. I've kind of dove into in the past year and even just in discussions, realizing that a lot of my childhood trauma like really isn't connected to my faith journey, but more so my childhood trauma very much, I think, shaped my skepticism of everything and wanting to question everything <laughs> yeah. uh, and not just taking, uh, well, here's this person in authority and they say it's this way and taking that as absolute truth. Um, and so I, I definitely I feel grateful for that. I think that like my childhood and my grandparents very much encouraged me to ask a lot of questions um, and form my own opinions. And so I think for me, I felt like very much a freedom as a young adult um, to go on kind of this faith journey. My grandparents were very supportive. They're more culturally Christian, but they're supportive of when I wanted to get baptized. Uh, when I go to, you know, we do the podcast or I want to go to you know, crazy religious experiences. I went to the Church of Scientology in LA. Like, uh, you know, they're they're very supportive of it. Wow, that's a that's an incredible gift you were given by them, because so many people, and I'm sure you know, are told don't ask questions, just swallow the answer and yeah. make it work. And so there is something to that. And you mentioned, um, you already mentioned that you didn't have much deconstruction to do, and I almost feel like we're beginning to learn why, because you were reared really in a healthy place um, with being invited to ask those questions. So I'd be curious, as somebody who did not grow up in the evangelical world, you said before we started recording that a lot of the conversation around deconstruction you hear uh, seems particular to those coming out of the evangelical tradition or those who Mm -hmm. have the evangelicals, as I refer to it, as their tribe of origin. Mm -hmm. So I'd be curious, what does deconstruction mean to you? Well, I think deconstruction as a term is a very natural uh, process 
in a lot of ways, right? I, I think for anybody to have a healthy faith, whether you, uh, you know, even be more fundamentalist or not, I think deconstruction really is kind of this, uh, the, this evolving process of anybody who has a personal faith. I, I've always, you know, and people have said it before, if you don't at least question God <laughs> at least once or twice a day, you should probably reevaluate your reevaluate your faith. Um, and so on that level, I think deconstruction really is this ever just constant path towards, um, being more like spiritually fulfilled. Right. And like wherever that may, might take you. And like, even for me, there are aspects of my faith that have changed since the time I first became a Christian till now. Uh, I've also like flip flopped back on things where I might've been really firm in my stance on one particular biblical interpretation kind of changed and then went back or maybe, you know, and, and I think that's constant, especially if you're studying various like scholars or anything like that. Um, and so as a term deconstruction to me is something like that. It's an evolving process that I think can be healthy. Uh, though I think there is a difference between deconstruction as a term and deconstruction as a movement, and that's kind of where I think I start to veer off um, of being I'm pro deconstruction as because you're growing in your faith and like whatever faith that might be. And that even if you're an atheist, I think atheists should have a, a positive deconstruction process where they are constantly having their beliefs challenged. And I think that's healthy. But I think that as a movement, it becomes much more of an echo chamber. Hmm. So I kind of define them as two different things. Can I ask you to talk more about the movement side of that? Yeah. So for me, like I had never and – and deconstruction I think as far as its popularity has become more popular in the last few years. Um, but I was first really introduced to it um, through having a few friends who have like left the church um, and just diving into discussions with them. And so that kind of threw me into a whole new world <laughs> of, you know, podcasters and people really talking about leaving, ev- you know, the evangelical church and uh, trauma and abuse that's happened. And I think all of, like a lot of those things are great. I think that deconstruction, the people who've been very vocal about their experiences is completely valid and needed. I think there needs to be more pressure and uh, more examining of how churches are structured and especially if you're working for a church or you're a member of a church, what's going on? I mean, I think there needs to be more checks and balances. Uh, but I think that um, a pastor I really admire, John Mark Comer, who lives in Portland, which is where mm-hmm. I live, uh, he did a recent panel discussion on deconstruction. And the way he kind of put it was, as far as the movement's concerned, it seems as if it's becoming just a pathway to atheism. And so for me... If it's a pathway to atheism because you're making that decision critically of like, hey, I've looked at all these facts, I've looked at uh, the Bible, the history of all these different religions, and I've come to the conclusion I don't believe that a god exists. Uh, to me, that's a lot different because you're making that decision for yourself versus I've lost faith in Christianity and I've pendulum swing to the complete opposite side, but I'm going to stay there. And I haven't really like dove into other spiritual practices or other even forms of Christianity, right? I mean, we've got even, you know, you got the evangelical church, but then you also got like sacramental uh, worship practices, mm-hmm. Pentecostal worship practices. Like there's so much more beyond just a non-denominational Christian church. Um, and so that's kind of my challenge for a lot of people uh, that are in the deconstruction movement where it's so needed. It's definitely a space for people who are like getting out and they feel so lost and they've lost all their community. 
and that you can find commonality with other people who are going through that. But I think my like next challenge or what I would encourage people to do is like what comes after that. Because I a lot of the discussions I have with people who feel stuck in deconstruction have mentioned, well, I know what I don't believe, but I don't I have no clue what I actually believe. Hmm. So Yeah, there's uh Father Richard Rohr um stole a phrase that's used by the philosopher Ken Wilber, where Ken Wilber talks about transcending and including. Mm. Uh, and I think Rohr may have actually switched them around. So first we need to include, then we need to transcend. And I know for me that's been so helpful to consider what is it I'm going to hold on to that I've been given? What are the things that need a proper funeral? One of the things you've already said that I so appreciated is you talked about the gratitude for something in the past. And I think so many of us, to your point, have been wounded, have experienced abuse, have experienced struggle that we just want to throw the whole thing away rather than picking it up. uh, And I say this to my kids often, remembering that God wastes nothing. So the question becomes, even in the parts we'd rather forget, what are the the things there that can shape us into something uh, more whole? Um, more healed? How, how, how is this going to contribute to my story moving forward? Because it's often the worst parts in the story, like in any great film, epic story, novel, it's often the worst things that end up being, in the end, the things that help the, the central character toward some sort of renewal. So I, I love that idea. When, when you think about, and you've kind of tapped into it, but what would an example of healthy deconstruction look like for you? Yeah, so... Um... Honestly, a great example is for me, you know, my, my as I mentioned, my co-host, my co-founder, uh, Ashton, who's also my significant other, you know, for him, uh, he's going on, going on about three years of being out of the Jehovah's Witness religion. Um, and I believe that God has a sense of humor. And of course, Jehovah's Witnesses was the one religion I had never studied before I met him. Uh, <laughs> so I could have told you anything about anything else. Um, and it's been so fascinating as, you know, like we first started off as friends and then kind of entered into this multi-faith relationship and that in itself is a whole other podcast episode. Um, but for me, I, I've been so inspired and like moved really by his just ability to deconstruct uh, a lot of like what has happened to him. Um, and I wish that's the thing too, is like as someone who is a Christian, I wish deconstruction talked more about kind of these other sects of, you know, biblical, biblically based religions, because I think we miss a lot of the conversation because I think to be kicked out of a religion is that, that in itself is like its own beast. And I mean, he was very devout, he was a devout witness, did underground preaching in China, Mm-hmm. Um, came f- came forward about a sin, which they tell you to do, right? Like, as long as you're repentive, uh, the elders will know, and they're not going to kick you out. But they found him to be not repentive. He got he had about a month to move out, uh, just like, you know, a room filled with stuff, didn't know any worldly people. And so for him, you know, obviously is skeptical of organized religion, and like, rightfully so. I remember when we met, he was very skeptical of Christians, uh, and a lot, and I have seen a lot of Christians befriend him almost as a missional tactic, and then they realize he's not going to become um, a hardcore Christian within a few months, and then so they drop off. But um, you know, when we first started dating for about that first year, uh, really didn't want to engage in dialogue at all. Um, 
and which was fine. He like respected my faith, but we we didn't necessarily engage in daily conversations. And then for him, you know, just being able to throw um, new spiritual practices at him, right? So it's like, okay, prayer doesn't work, but like, what about centering prayer or meditation or breath work um, and kind of all these other things? And so for me, like. I think a healthy deconstruction is almost this like balance of the two, right? Where he was able to sit down and like really process through like, what was I taught as a child? And like, what did I grow up believing? Here's what I like know not to be true anymore. But I'm still trying to figure out what I don't believe. I'm also trying new things and experiencing new things. And Mm -hmm. okay, well, I don't know anything about Buddhism. So I'm going to go talk to a Buddhist. Um, Because you know, this form of experiencing God didn't work for me. And there's so much PTSD attached to it. But that doesn't necessarily mean I don't believe in God or believe in some type of higher force. Um, and so for me, like, the people I've seen to that have really been able to navigate a healthy deconstruction have often been able to do that. Why It's like a balancing act. Now, that's easier said than done, because you get out and it's just all there's so much stuff that you don't know you've never been able to experience and so it's hard to know like where to start um but i think just being and even if it's just like little steps you know for him like meditation was like a major breakthrough where that's a way for him to like have a spiritual experience and connect spiritually uh but in a different type of format that works better for him fascinating and you i'm so so interested in the fact that you, in your own experience initially, had um, you really didn't have to go through the deconstruction that so many of us who've grown up in and around religion, the church, or in the case of Ashton, uh, the Jehovah's Witness community. Um, but I, I, I'm thinking about a friend of mine who recently shared that he feels like he's gone through the process of deconstruction four or five times. <laughs> And I'd be curious to how you would respond to his comment about this. For him, it almost feels like a perennial deconstruction, or maybe every three or four years, he's encountering something new that's calling him out of the old. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like uh, a comment like that is really being true to who you you are and like actually to the faith journey, (laughs) because I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't really want to admit it. And that's what I go back to, like, that's my my concern with the uh, polarization of deconstruction versus like, you know, very fundamentalist, right? If it feels like there's no real middle ground to be able to like embrace both. Um, And for me, I mean, I, even though I haven't really deconstructed in the way that most people would view deconstruction, I mean, I'm constantly going through that. You know, I like, I went through a period where I questioned, well, why were certain books in the Bible not included? And so I'll go read those, right? And like the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Philip. And okay, well, how do these tie into the whole story? And, um, you know, what do I think about the Trinity? That's been a big discussion as well, because Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they don't believe in the Trinity, but, uh, you know, my version of Christianity does. Um, And so for me, I think that, you know, though it can be exhausting to deconstruct and then reconstruct I think for the people who are able to embrace that and like embrace the tension, I think ultimately would uh, might have more of a positive spiritual experience and like a spiritual growth that they might not have had. And I'm in that currently where I'm learning so much more about um, different types of practices that, you know, 15th, 14th, 15th century Christian leaders were using. 
um, I was inspired to get into that by actually talking with Buddhists um, and then learning about like this erased history of breath work and centering prayer for Christianity. And I go, oh man, like, well, these Buddhist monks are doing this and early Christians were doing this. So why can't I do it? <laughs> uh, so I'm even in that process too of like deconstructing my thoughts around uh, how churches are teaching people uh, prayer life and the mechanisms they're giving people. Because I would say I'm starting to believe that the mechanisms they give, uh, you know, followers of faith aren't necessarily the best ones. You just talked about spiritual practices and uh, you shared in an email correspondence with me that you've come to learn the importance of understanding, and I'm quoting here, the history of spiritual practice practices just beyond the scope of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think some of our listeners may hear that and think like, whoa, wait a second, like beyond <laughs> the scope of Jesus? And so I'm curious, you just alluded to it. What do you mean by that? Well, for me... Um... I think that, and this is something I've been diving into and I've been doing spiritual direction coaching. Um, And one of the things I think that's been hard for me and just because I came into Christianity so much more around like the studying of the Bible and history and science and all these other things, uh, I think for me, I lost the like emotional touch with the gospel stories, right? So it's like, Yes, here's what Jesus is teaching, but what is even just like happening in the context, right? Because like when Jesus is, when we read Jesus' parables, he's giving those as in the context of, you know, he's he's essentially a Jewish rabbi in a lot of ways at that time. But we don't really always see it that way. We read it as Jesus is a Christian, <laughs> uh, but that's not really the case. And he's a in Christian, and he looks like he's from Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, he's blonde hair, blue eyed. Uh, really muscular. I think that's yes. funny when they make Jesus really muscular. Spoke English. Um, yeah, exactly. And oh, so yeah. I think that, and also there's this level of, you read the Gospels and it's almost as if Jesus just like appeared in this situation, right? Like I, I always think about like the, was it John 8, the, the story of the woman adulterer, you know, and like whoever's without the if sin can cast the first stone. You read that story and it almost just seems like Jesus just like appeared out of nowhere, he just like poofed and he was like on the scene. And so for me, it's really been a, a challenge or just challenging myself to be a little bit more emotionally connected with the characters of the Bible, what life would have been like at that time. Um, and also using other spiritual practices that, you know, early church leaders used. And I think even the, you know, the Catholic church still uses them, right? Of like how powerful meditating on one word of a verse can be and meditating on that for like an hour. <laughs> um, and so when I mean beyond the scope of Jesus, I'm, I don't mean um, anything else divine, because for me personally, I, I do believe that um, Jesus was the son of God. I believe he is, you know, was both divine and flesh. But I think that God is such a complex, multifaceted being, right? If we believe it's beyond our dimension, we'll probably, we're, we're never going to fully know everything about God, at least in this lifetime. Um, and But there are these other elements that we can implement to like enrich our faith and have more of a, a fuller scope of what our relationship with God looks like, what faith looks like in our lives, 
And I think that that even can come from teachings of the Buddha, right? There's a lot of similarities between the Buddha and Jesus. You think about the significance of 40 days, right? Like the Buddha meditated for 40 days under the tree. Jesus went out for 40 days. Um, And so finding like connections between all these different faiths and what is divine to those faiths and how does that impact my understanding of who Jesus was and the context of where he was at in history. So that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, I think it was I think it was Thomas Aquinas who said something like if it's true, it's from the spirit. And he was a an 11th 11th century scholar who didn't seem maybe 12th century, one of those two centuries, but he wasn't he wasn't bound to or he, he wasn't confined by the boundaries that were set up. If he yeah. saw something that resonated with who he knew Jesus to be, he was like, "Hey, I think we can I think we can cozy up to that." And one of the things you point out that I I, I really want to highlight is you talk about this this discovery that you've you've made, and it's something um, that I've encountered as well of th- what I felt like were these this buried history mm-hmm. uh, that's an incredibly beautiful, massive, deep, rich history. And uh, for those of you listening, I did uh, a three-part series on why I still call myself a Christian. And one of the things I talked about was how I felt like I lived in this, like it was a pretty well-appointed home um, that I would have called Christianity. But one day I noticed there was this door that I had never walked through. And when I opened it, I realized I was living in only one small wing of this palatial estate like my my faith tradition has like an outdoor pool you know (laughs) this kind of idea that this is this is far bigger than the tradition that i grew up with and and i want to talk about reconstruction but one of the things that was so helpful for me was to begin recognizing that i had been given something that was uh that had the power to open me up to a bigger, broader, more mysterious, beautiful world and connection with the divine if I let it. Because I could have shut the door again and been like, well, if, it's, if we don't understand it, it's bad. Um, but it's fascinating how it seems, this is true of me and so many people I've encountered with, when we recognize how deep the stream of the Christian tradition runs and that so much of what people might feel is this new theory or way of thinking is actually an ancient practice practiced by our spiritual ancestors that like no this is ours too we can we can hold on to this as well um I, i'm curious what we, we talked up until now about deconstruction and you talked uh early on about encountering people of different faiths and, and i'm what for you um what does the process of reconstruction look like? And it sounds like it's an ongoing process. So maybe I should say, what is it looking like today? And what has it looked like for you in the past? Yeah, I mean, that's everything from continuously reconstructing my thoughts of how, you know, Christian faith plays into even uh, discussion with other followers of other faiths, right? You know, I, I'm pretty passionate about engaging with Mormons. I've got half my family's Mormon, like I said, and I have a lot of friends who are Mormon. Uh, so it's even reconstructing my own uh, beliefs around, you know, what what is it about my, uh, I don't know, version of Christianity uh, that differs from, let's say, a Mormon's belief around Christianity. Uh, I think for me, too, you know, reconstruction is trying out all these new spiritual practices, 
And honestly, the only reason I ever got into kind of unpacking this like untold history of Christianity was not through other Christian friends. It was through talking with Buddhists. <laughs> um, and so I think for me, it's it's finding this a way to continue to grow spiritually and engage and appreciate my relationships and dialogue with followers of other faith and kind of having that holy envy of like, how can I view a follower of another faith and I can witness how real their faith is to them and how can that impact my own understanding of who I believe God to be. And so to me, and I know the words get kind of tossed around a lot, but like to me, I think there is a really big difference between multi-faith and interfaith. And that's a big thing we focus on in our kind of podcast and platform is like we really are focused on multi-faith because multi-faith is resting in the tension and awkwardness of being different and respecting that there is difference versus trying to constantly find similarities and only living in the similarities, right? Like I can sit across from my Mormon friend and it might be awkward to say, but like I know that there are things that we completely disagree on. I can sit across from my Muslim friend and I know that they think I'm going to go to hell <laughs> and or I think that their faith is wrong. Um, and so for me, it's really, I'm kind of at that place with just my faith journey and reconstructing and I think also building uh, empathy and understanding for people who are going through sev- like severe spiritual abuse, um, you know, in in the evangelical world, but also just through, you know, we go to Jehovah's Witness support groups and talking with ex-Mormons. And, you know, and for me, I think as someone who does really, you know, has a deep faith, it's heartbreaking to me because <laughs> I see these people and I, I totally get the pendulum swing. I totally get why you would go through experience like that and come out on the other side and be like, there's no way in hell there's a God. There's no way. Why would, like, if there was a God, why would that ever have happened to me? And I mean, these are women who leave the religion in their 50s and leave behind their husband and kids. You know, they have, like, no world worldly skills. Um, you know, I, I, like, see that. And so for me, I, I'm just at that place in my personal faith where I'm trying to build as many mechanisms as I can that grow me closer to the divine while also having extreme empathy for people who have not had the same faith experience as I do and do not view God the same way I do. Um, that's kind of, I don't know. I, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> oh yeah. No. And I have a, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, which question do I ask first <laughs> as I listen to you? I'm curious, you know, it's been said, uh, somewhere, or maybe it's original with me, but I think it's been said somewhere. Most of what I say I take from somewhere else. That uh, growth is a form of change and change is a form of loss. Mm. And one of the things I think that is particular to our culture is we don't know what to do with loss. And loss demands grief. Some sort of, some sort of acknowledgement of the loss. And so I'm curious... What have you seen when it comes to reconstruction, which is in some ways a form of growth, uh, it's an expansion, it's a movement forward, it's a shift, however you want to say it. What have you found to be helpful when it comes to the moments where you say, okay, I used to think this way, or I used to hold this, and now I'm going to have to set this down, and in because I'm being called forward, I can no longer bring that with me. What are ways that you've been able to deal with that really what what is a form of loss how have you been able to deal with that yeah i think it's um 
almost to kind of go off your quote, but a different quote is one I saw was, you know, growing things change, but changing things change things. Hmm. Right. And I think to be able to have an impact in the way that I think a lot of people would like to have or to like to get to a place where you can be your true full self. I think you have to like go through those growing pains and it's very difficult. But I I think that the the key to it is and which is the scary part because they don't emphasize that in faith. Like I've never really seen any religion that emphasizes continuous evolution of your faith because <laughs> I think there's always that uh, part on the organized religious side that is afraid that, well, if you change too much, you might leave. Um, so I, I think it is hard to like re rethink and like restructure your mindset around your faith continuing to evolve. Um, and that can be like so many different ways. I mean, I've seen people go from like Christian to atheist to back to Christian and then back to atheist. I mean, I know a few people have written books on that, but I think what keeps me kind of sane and being able to like acknowledge grief or acknowledge loss is knowing that the change might be tough, but it's getting me one step closer to probably what I actually believe and who I actually am. Um, I had a very wise person say to me a few weeks ago that uh, sometimes I I was struggling with like what it means to be like Christ-like, you know, it's like, well, we're, you know, because I think about that a lot more like, man, I shouldn't have acted that way. That wasn't very Jesus of me. And then I finally had this realization. I'm like, well, maybe that's not what I'm like always supposed to do because I'm like never going to be a perfect person. So instead of like dwelling in like, well, I didn't act this way or I didn't act correct in this situation. How can I use that as a means to, um, have more of like an open dialogue with God, right? I have an open dialogue of why I reacted in that way. And I thought his point was so good. is like sometimes the most Christ-like thing we can do is to be true and honest with ourselves and being honest with ourselves of like, hey, I'm just not there yet. And I'm really struggling to like let go of this past belief. Like I know this past belief is not really true for me, but I've, hold on, I've held on to that for my whole life. And so it's so hard to give up. But I think having that like perspective of like changing and evolving oftentimes gets you one step closer to, you know, being a more fulfilling, fulfilled person. Um, That's how I view it is that sometimes like when you're changing, that's a good sign (laughs) Uh, because you realize you're being true to who you are and realizing like, man, I actually didn't believe that anyway. Yeah. You also mentioned multi-faith versus interfaith and... It's an interesting distinction. I've been involved for several years with the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado. And one of the things I've so appreciated about it is there is an understanding that's both spoken and unspoken of we disagree on some pretty substantive things. And yet, uh, one of the things I learned from my mentor who was also involved in a lot of interfaith work is he said, it's almost... Like, they just want me to be a Christian. Like, they don't, they're not there. I'm not there to try to convince them of anything or to be convinced. Like, they want me to bring my full self. And so I've found that freedom here. And I'm curious, in, in a moment in our a season, really, is what it's turned into, in our culture, in our country, where we can't seem to disagree without being disagreeable, what wisdom could you share with us about how you sit down with those you call friends, those with whom you journey, knowing you disagree on something as important as faith, and yet you're still able to, to remain in relationship? 
I'd say listen first. That's the biggest thing I've learned from having kind of these di- you know dialogues and discussions with people I don't agree with on faith is because I think I finally realized after enough bad encounters that I I was coming into these conversations just like full blast from my perspective of like, well, here's my version of the Bible. This is what I think. This is why, you know, this is what's true. You know, here's this, here's all these facts, here's this. Um, instead of actually taking the time to listen to them, you know, I think that that's really what it comes down to. Cause I, then I put myself in those shoes of, you know, if I w- was doing door to door preaching as a Jehovah's witness, you know, I, I would, um, and I came in, I like, you know, they're there to share their faith. And so I find it almost better to allow them to share what they believe and their experience first, because if you're not, if you, if you were, you want someone to know everything about your faith and only listen to you, but you're not willing to do any of the research into their faith, I think it automatically creates a tension where there like doesn't need to be one. So my Mm. suggestion is like, if you're a Christian who... Um, you know, wants to more actively engage with uh, Mormons in your community, read the Book of Mormon. (laughs) Uh, Don't just read material that is why Mormonism is not true and why Christianity is true or, you know, whatever it may be. Or, you know, the history of Joseph Smith. I see that all the time with Christians where they like pull out the Joseph Smith stuff to Mormon missionaries. But that's not going to do any good, at least to start. Um, And so... I don't know. My my suggestion would always be to like listen first and only share when they ask you to share. Hmm. That's sound advice. Although I'm sure <laughs> you, you don't you don't want to use the word advice. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your experience. I'll say it that way. But it is advice, and it's advice we should all heed. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. What would be? What's your hope for people who engage? Um, what the faith, which is the space you've created. And, and what's your, what's your hope for people who are listening to this podcast? Yeah. So with what the faith, we kind of have two main goals or missions. Uh, one is for people who are a follower of a faith, um, where how do, you know, we want to equip anybody who is confident in their faith, whatever it may be, even atheism or agnosticism, uh, to be able to have like the tools and mechanisms needed to engage in those multi-faith conversations. And how do you build meaningful relationships? How do you grow together and have faith be a conversation for growth, uh, not to make people stagnate into their own kind of boxes? Uh, And then second, you know, we really are a community for people who feel like a faith misfit. So a lot of those people are people who are shifting their faith, they're leaving their faith, um, and they just... They know what they don't believe, but they're kind of looking for that next step in reconstruction. They're looking for a community that's going to help them uh, find who they are and their identity beyond just their past faith. They don't want to just be stuck in, I'm an ex this. Um, And so that's kind of who we're hoping to reach and help. Um, And then as far as, you know, listeners listening to this podcast, I'd say uh, just constantly being on that growth mode. Of like wherever that may take you, uh, whether that is into no longer having faith or going into a new faith or coming back to your old faith, whatever it may be, just continuously reminding yourself to grow every day, whether that's reading a new book or listening to a perspective you don't agree with. Hmm. Well, where uh, where can our listeners find you online? 
Yeah, so you can find me on all the What the Faith stuff. Our website is www.whatthefaith.space. Uh, you'll be able to check out all of our resources there. We have an event series going on uh, practically all the time uh, with different panel discussions. And uh, yeah. Wonderful. Allison, it's been so great speaking with you and, and hearing from you and learning from you. Thanks so much for being here on the Changing Faith podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. I, I loved it. And thanks to all of you who've joined with us today. My prayer is that we would be and become those who are willing to take apart and examine all that we have been given and that we would be willing to engage in the continued work of reconstruction and growth so that together we might rediscover and discover a faith worth living. So thanks again to Allison for being with us here today and for all of you for joining with us. That is it for today's episode. So until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.